Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Ocean Riders podcast, conversations with entrepreneurs, creatives, thinkers, and dreamers who also happen to be surfers. My name's Imi, and I am your host. Before we jump into this conversation with my guest, I wanted to let you know that I've been working on something super cool. As some of you may know, the Ocean Riders podcast is a passion project, but it still costs me a bit of money and a ton of time to make, produce and promote it. So if you enjoy these conversations, it would mean the world to me if you could give me some support. First and foremost, it's free. You can like and share this content with your friends, colleagues, family on social media, and even rate this podcast on iTunes. You can also help by subscribing to the podcast. That way you won't miss an episode because the episodes will be automatically downloaded onto your phone. But, 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 if you had ever considered supporting me in another way, I have created a super secure mini web shop called The Ocean Riders Shop. And you can find it at theoceanridersshop.com, all in one word. Links to it are also in the show notes. So what's The Ocean Riders Shop all about? Well, it's an online store where you can find some hand-picked designs made by me. I've created a limited edition and collection of podcast merchandise that you can purchase. In fact, surf art is one of my passions. And through the past few years, I've been churning out a few original designs that I usually make into Christmas cards for my family and friends. I thought I'd share them with you as well. I've also created some beautiful wall art and some original limited edition t-shirts for both men and women. I really encourage you to take a look at them. They're super cool. It's taken me a while to get these products off the drawing board and into a real product range because it was really important to me to offer a sustainable and ethical range. Now that I've found the right partners and plastic-free packaging, I'm really happy to share them with you too. So click on the link in the show notes and take your pick. All profits from the sale of these articles will help pay for my awesome podcast editor, whose name is Leng, and support the podcast platform hosting. My sales go through my business and as a member of 1% of the planet, not only will you be supporting a surf mama and a sort of a small business, but you will also be supporting a great cause via the 1% for the Planet Network. So sorry for the aparte, but I was so excited to talk to you about it. I couldn't keep it for myself. Now about my guest. Today's guest is a brilliant woman on a mission. She's on a mission to raise awareness on climate change. Trace Lane is first and foremost an academic who's been traveling the world for her research. That itself is already pretty cool, but Trace has created a platform called Surf Sisters for Science that is encouraging surfers from all over the world to witness the evolution of our planet's climate and waves from a surfer's perspective. I'll let Trace do the explaining, but what I found really interesting in Trace's story is the impact surfing has had on her life. From living in a landlocked city for years, uh, she discovered surfing only a few years ago and is now dedicating her whole life to the cause. It definitely resonates in the reason I started this podcast too. So without further ado, please welcome Trace Lane. Hello, Trace, and welcome to the Ocean Riders podcast. How are you today? Thank you. I'm great. So glad to be here. Thanks for having me. (laughs) You're welcome. I guess before we start, do you think you could introduce yourself to the listeners? Sure. My name is Trace Lane. I'm the founder and director of Surf Sisters for Science. 
Excellent. And I guess what we could sort of start with is maybe your background and where you grew up. Sure. I was born in Alabama, uh, so grew up in the South. And let's see, I've lived a lot of places since then. So I kind of have a lot of different places that I call home. Chicago is a home to me. Peru has become a home to me. And currently, I'm living in North Carolina. Excellent. Excellent. So at what point did you find your true calling for the ocean protection and climate change, like being an advocate for that? Well, I'd been moving in that direction for a long time through my studies at Chicago and then at University of Washington as well. And I guess I would say I like to call it my relationship with water began as a grad student at UChicago. It was kind of a fluke, actually. <laughs> so I was supposed to go to Nepal to study something to do, well, long story short, to study um, a particular facet of their constitution. And it ended up not being a safe expedition. So I had to find somewhere else to go. And I got a phone call. And the call was from a researcher who was working on water access in urban Mumbai. And he wanted me to come and help him do the, the social part of that. So my job would be looking at like the political ramifications, human rights law, and then also connecting those, those laws and things written on paper to what the actual situation was on the ground. So the offer kind of scared me a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, well, it intimidated me, you know, so I knew that that meant I had to do it. So that's where it started. And it really just grew from there. And I think, I guess I would say like the final pivot to my current direction came in Peru. I was researching the relationship between water and people who consider water a sacred place, a sacred being, things of that nature. And yeah, I just, I really was given a lot of help and information from people who live there and started to understand that I couldn't really talk about water realistically unless I also talked about contamination and climate change. So that was really the the shift and, and here we are. Wow, wow. So you really have a, a, a very academic background. What exactly did you study to actually sort of come a few years later with this amazing project? So my bachelor's is in psychology. Um, my first master's is in political science and public policy. My second master's is in international social welfare and human rights. Now I'm working on my doctorate and I'm studying integrated coastal sciences. So essentially, I've looked at the different system levels that impact and prescript the way that people have access to different kinds of rights. And my particular interest is, uh, is water. So yeah, now I'm looking at the human dimensions of climate change and focusing on water in particular. Wow. And so um, what do you think ignited the Surf Sisters for Science project? Ah, yeah. Well, it actually began as a conversation. So I was living in Peru. I lived in the jungle first to study water there, then the highlands, and then the coast. And what I was looking for was a deeper understanding of water, really, and um, the identity of water. So I was in a conversation, and what started coming up in that conversation was the fact that surfers, well, they're kind of like the canaries in the coal mine, right? Because 
you know, to surf, you have to watch the ocean. You have to know the ocean. You have to know every little shift, every little mood. And so because of that, I was able to have a conversation with the surfer who was a longtime surfer and knew every little change of the ocean that went really far beyond some of the conversations that I've had with scientists, frankly. Right. Okay. <laughs> so that's how it started. It started as one article, you know, because it was like, hey, we should write about this, you know. And then as the stories started coming in, it became clear that it was bigger than one article. And actually, it needed this story. These stories needed a house built around them. So mm -hmm. that's where the organization came from. Wow, that's amazing. So do you think you could kind of summarize what Surf Sisters for Science is all about? Sure. So Surf Sisters for Science, our goal is to combine adventure with environmental service. And we do that through four programs, which we call our environmental service labs. The first one is the Citizen Science Data Lab. Second one is Citizen Journalism, it's the Story Lab. The third one is the Clean Lab that deals with uh, microplastics, plastics, things of that nature. And then the fourth one is a knowledge exchange. And it's not an education program necessarily, but it's a knowledge exchange, a dialogue between different epistemologies about climate change. Wow. Do you think you could sort of dig into all four different labs just to sort of give us an example? Yeah, yeah, happy to. So the story lab is kind of where it all started uh -huh. because it started with the one article. So essentially, this is a series of interviews with longtime surfers about what they've seen changing in the places that they serve. And that can mean whatever it means to them, right? It can mean changes in the ocean, changes in uh, marine life, changes in, in the economy that's based around surfing, things like that. And what has started to happen is that we are, what is being built by these stories is basically an oral history of the waves in these different places and an oral history of the changes. Mm. So through Surf Sisters for Science, the way that that would work, the way that it works is a group comes with us to a beautiful place. Mm -hmm. We go surfing, we go hiking, we go adventuring. And then we also do these interviews. Um, it's always a mix of the adventure, enjoying the place, but then also working towards protecting it. Right. So another example for the data lab, that's the citizen science piece. One of our favorite partners <laughs> that we work with is SmartFin. Smartfin. So yeah, so they're a super fun way to do citizen science because this is actually a fin that goes uh, on your surfboard, obviously, but the fin collects data while you surf. So it's a really fun action-oriented kind of citizen science. Uh-huh. Brilliant. So what's your ties with um, SmartFin then? Do you provide them or are you kind of go-between person? How does that work? Sure. So they're one of our partners. And what that means is that when groups come on trips with us on our adventures, then they get to use the SmartFins. We have okay. some that, um, you know, we keep and let people use. But SmartFin is, you know, they're their own thing. They're their own organization. So you can use them outside of our programming. You know, mm -hmm. anyone could use them. In <laughs> fact, I recommend that everybody use them. You don't have to use it. Uh, you don't have to go through us to do that. But yeah, they're, they're one of our partners and we enjoy collaborating on things. And we figured out, I guess, maybe a year ago now that we, we have the same goals. So we always cool. say we're paddling in the same direction. So uh -huh. um, 
Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. And so who do you collaborate with on this project? So we have a pretty strong list of partners because um, I'm a big believer in working with folks and not trying to have expertise in every little piece of every little thing, but, you know, figuring out what it is you bring to the table. And then for the other pieces, looking for people who are doing that really well, right? So SmartFin, for example, they have this awesome piece of technology. We provide sort of like the organizing around that technology and facilitate the use of it. Okay. Another example is Tarantula Surf with oh, yeah. Tara Redenberg. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thanks to you, actually. <laughs> so in that example, she's sort of like one of our adventure partners because we'll be bringing a group to her uh, surf school mm-hmm. and she's going to lead the surf lesson, the surf coaching, that kind of stuff. Excellent. And we'll bring the environmental service part. Excellent. Excellent. So which countries are you targeting? Like it could be a global project, but do you have to target to be kind of not sort of ramble, you know, not sort of dilute all your, all, all your energy? <laughs> are there specific areas? Yes, there are. Because every, every lab is part of an adventure, right? Like it's every trip is two things. It's the adventure and the environmental service. It's really sort of helped us figure out like, okay, these are the specific places we're going to be because it's like planning a trip, right? Mm. So um, we'll be in Peru and that will be uh, one trip for the coast and then one trip for the jungle. Excellent. We'll be in Baja. Really looking forward to that. <laughs> one of our partners, Groundswell. Oh, yeah. So let's see what else. Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. With Tarantula Surf. That's right. <laughs> uh, United States, Outer Banks, which is close to me. So... Mm-hmm. Excellent. Of course, going to do that one. And then in our, let's see, next holiday season, uh, New Zealand. Wow. Excellent. Yeah, this is so exciting. I mean, like how, how you've actually built the dream job in where you get to travel the world, you get to surf, you get to do what you're passionate about. I mean, this is just a perfect sort of setup. And so once you've collected the information and you've created these data labs and everything, how do you intend to influence leaders towards changing things? Sure. So this is actually a big part of the motivation for creating sources for science. So yeah, I I found myself really bothered by some of the gaps in the stories that were happening in areas of climate impact and what was being reported. So part of the, you know, the whole point is to report these stories through citizen journalism. And I guess I would say give a platform to these experiences. You know, even though it began as an article that I was going to write, it seemed most appropriate to just remove myself from the story as Mm -hmm. much as possible and just make it instead of an article that, you know, maybe some people would read, (laughs) I believe people would read it. But even better than that is a video where people can see it. It's, I'm not in the way at all mm-hmm. <laughs> of the story. So what we'll be doing on the Surf Sisters for Science website is hosting these uh, video blogs. And that will be one way of hopefully raising awareness to these of these stories and these experiences of climate change. So for me, that is a way of fighting misinformation with truth, mm-hmm. because it's not me giving my opinion. It's not me saying, hey, here's what I think should happen. Here's what I know to be true as a climate scientist. But instead, it's just saying, like, look, 
here is this person's real life according to them. Mm-hmm. You know, do with that what you will. But I think that right now, when we're seeing so many people in positions of world leadership who are denying climate change and, you know, that seem to be working in a very opposite direction, this is sort of our, our challenge to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how many videos have you collected so far? How many interviews? <laughs> <laughs> so far, we've got 18. Wow. And what we'll be doing, and this is just sort of to launch the site until our trips begin, what we'll be doing is releasing um, two or three of those stories per month on our website. And then as we go on our trips, that'll be a whole little like a series dedicated to each place. Okay, excellent. And so saying that this is a platform, but is there a kind of political or a kind of something that you want to sort of raise awareness to world leaders or or national leaders or things like that? Is there is there a kind of higher outcome to get your voice heard and the voice of the people who are joining you on that platform? Definitely. Well, I would say the first goal is to demonstrate that climate change is real. Mm -hmm. While yes, it is true, the climate is always changing, right? You know, mountains are still growing, so the climate is changing, and there are a million different reasons and interconnections between, you know, natural processes in the world that lead to a changing climate. But the part that we're focused on are the the human impacts and the way that our actions are driving climate change. Mm -hmm. So, Number one, the goal is to validate like, hey, this is real. (laughs) (laughs) Just because you're not feeling it in your, you know, very safe life doesn't mean that many, many people around the world aren't feeling it because they are. Yeah. It's very real. It's very, very real. So the second piece of that deals more with the citizen science data collection piece. So as a researcher, I've seen firsthand how that funding system works. Mm. And I know that it can be very difficult in the best of circumstances to get funding for your research. But when there is a political shift in opposition to the information that you're producing, it becomes really, really hard. And so this is um, another kind of pushback against that, that silencing to say, hey, here's open source data. You can't stop us from knowing this truth. Yeah. So it becomes a really, in my opinion, a really smart way to resist, becomes a smart way to organize, and it's nonviolent, which is really important to me. So yeah. That's really interesting. And and have you sort of had a, most of your assumptions about climate change and about contamination and, and all this actually proved to be true with the, the different people you've interviewed so far? Yes, but there have been one or two cases where I was surprised by the personal impact that these changes were not having on people. Like what? Well, (laughs) (laughs) so these are the things I think about in the morning. These are the things I think about when I'm going to sleep. These are the things that make me excited and that piss me off and that make me, you know, it's the whole range, you know? So sometimes when other people are not as motivated by these things, it takes me a bit by surprise. Right. So like if someone is seeing, you know, 
contamination in their surf break, but they don't really mind it so much. Like, I don't get that. <laughs> but hey, you know, it's not about like me trying to rescript anyone's experience. No, so I just have to like, let it be, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But it's an interesting to know if, if the actual assumptions that you have about climate change and contamination of, of water is actually proving to be a reality for most of the interviewees. Yes, definitely. People are seeing the changes. They definitely are. What I hear again and again and again, without even asking for this one, is the reduction and shifts in marine species. Really? Yeah. So people are seeing like these ecosystems that, you know, they, they kind of grew up with them. Uh -huh. So you, you know them very intimately. They're being completely either rerouted to different places or just disappearing over time. And that that's because of a range of factors. But yes, that's a big change. Sea level rise is a big change yeah. and contamination is a big change. Yeah. Wow. Okay, that's really interesting. And how could we actually sort of join in or help Surf Sisters for Science? Well, I'm really glad you asked. Um, <laughs> well, number one, if you want to come on an adventure with us, our website will be live and our adventures, the itineraries will be posted very soon. So you can sign up and you can actually come with us and we'll go have a lot of fun, but we'll also work in these environmental service labs. But if you can't get away, you want to contribute to, say, for example, the story lab. What you can do is contact me through the website and mm -hmm. share your climate story. There's an option for that there built into the site. So what this would mean is that you and I would do an interview just like through Skype or whatever works for you. And you can become a part of the story lab. Actually, that's a big hope that I have for the story lab is that it becomes a global community of sharing these experiences and especially considering the carbon footprint of actually traveling to these places. It's, yes. it's great if we can do this virtually. I mean, yeah. don't get me wrong. I would love to go <laughs> everywhere, <laughs> yeah. but everywhere doesn't need me to go to it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's really interesting. And is there a GoFundMe page as well? Is there something that we can sort of contribute in terms of donations? Well, you know, we started with a GoFundMe page and now we've evolved because we're getting we're 501c3 status. There will be a nice level donate button on oh, our website. Great. Excellent. Fantastic. So yes, donations are much appreciated. And we have a really transparent system for that as well. So you can see like exactly where your money is going. If you want to donate to a specific lab, you can do that. Okay, fantastic. Fantastic. Okay, well, that, so it'll be on the website, which will be online soon. Yes. So probably January sometime or maybe even before. So we'll leave the links to it in the show notes. And I yes. guess to sort of support your story lab department, I was wondering <laughs> if we could do the same interview that you give to your interviewees, if we could do the same sure. thing. So, um, of course. <laughs> so name. My name is Trace Layton. Occupation. I am a PhD student. I'm a graduate um, research assistant. I work on analyzing literature about climate change from a feminist perspective. Okay. And the number of years surfing? Oh, three and a half. I'm Whoa. a newbie. <laughs> well, I guess it's four now, but still really, really new. <laughs> and how did you learn to surf? So I was in Mexico. And it was just sort of a fluke vacation. And I had the opportunity to take a surf lesson. And it was 
a situation where I'd never been on a board before, but the first wave that came my way, it was like meeting an old friend. And I hopped up and it was, it was just amazing. And I was hooked. And I'd always known that it was something that was a part of my life, but I just hadn't really lived it yet. So since then, I knew that I had to make decisions based around surf. Right, right. Excellent. And so what does surfing actually mean to you? For me, surfing, it's a way to be very, very present in the moment. And it's not like anything else. You know, it's it's not always easy. <laughs> but because of that, you learn, you learn about the ocean, you learn about yourself, you know, you learn about all of it. And I think the biggest, the biggest thing for me, being a person that had been studying water for many years by that point, surfing provided sort of the missing link in my relationship with water. Getting thrown about by it is quite different than reading about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. So in terms of changing oceans, in your opinion, are the oceans changing? Yes. Yes, they are, in my opinion. How yeah. are they changing? Well, in many different ways. You can look at this question in terms of impacts of climate change. So that would be rising sea levels, changing ocean floors, changing marine life. But then there's an overlap between what we can call impacts of climate change and contamination. Mm -hmm. And the crazy thing is that these two factors start to work together. So yeah, the water, is, the oceans are acidifying, they're becoming warmer, sea levels are rising, and marine life is changing drastically. So this has tons of impacts, right? Mm -hmm. And it impacts us on land. It, you don't have to be near or in the ocean to see these impacts. Yeah. 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 And so do you see um, ocean contamination often when you surf? Yes. Uh, what kind of contaminants do you find? Well, they're the things that you can see, right? Like the plastic is the number one, the big one, right? Yeah. So anytime you go surfing in the places where I've lived, you just see it in the water. You see trash in the water. So there's that. But then there's also there's the contamination that you can't see. And that's a big problem as well. So what I mean by that is like storm runoff in certain areas picks up pollutants, picks up sediment, picks up all sorts of things that really aren't supposed to be in the ocean, right? And it carries them into the ocean and pollutes these areas. So like if you've ever gone surfing, especially after rain where there's been lots of runoff into the ocean mm. and you get a little sick, mm. that's why. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so have you ever sort of been sick after being contaminated from surfing? Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> the first time it happened, I, I thought that I was getting a flu. Really? Yeah. And then I realized like, oh, no, this is it. This is what it, this is the thing. Yeah, <laughs> this is what yeah. it feels like. <laughs> and so um, in terms of changing economy, has your professional life been impacted by the changes to the surf, to the oceans or to weather? Uh, yes, it has. It has given me more to work on. And that's a weird thing to say. <laughs> but yeah, it's more clearly defined the urgency underlying the work that I'm pursuing. So that's a bit of a different perspective than someone who, say, teaches surf lessons or, you know, runs a shop in a surf town or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, the last question is, how are the changes to your work actually impacting your life? Oh, well, this is very interesting. <laughs> so I've lived a bunch of places that I never expected to live, I guess. And I've loved just about all of them. But that is one thing 
I would say that's probably like just off the top of my head, the biggest impact is that I move around a lot and travel a lot, which has its, you know, definite fun parts. But then also the other side to that is that you're, you know, you miss a lot of people and you miss a lot of places, you know, but that's okay if you just have to learn to carry them with you, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's great with Skype and all sorts of online apps that you can keep in touch with them much better than 20 years ago, whatever. (laughs) Definitely. Thank goodness. Yeah. So, um, I guess before we, we get to the end of this interview, which has been a really fascinating conversation, and I definitely recommend our listeners to actually have a look at your website and maybe connect your Facebook page. I just had a four sort of sentences that I'd like you to finish. Is that okay for you? Of course. Yeah. What you got? Okay. So the first one is I love. Mm. Okay. The first thing that came to my mind was mangoes. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> I miss. Ah, surfing every day. (laughs) (laughs) I wish. I wish I lived closer to the ocean. I live about two hours away now. Right. Okay. And I want. I want everyone to come with Surf Sisters on our adventures. (laughs) (laughs) So so when's the next uh, adventures going to be planned for? Starting in June. Well, actually starting May and June. May and June 2020. Uh, yes, we'll have a summer session and then we're already planning for December in, and January 21. Excellent, excellent. And before we part, I just wondered if you had any sort of books that you've read that have kind of changed your perspective on life and climate change and something that you'd encourage listeners to read just to get a kind of perspective, your perspective. Sure. So the first scholar that comes to mind is Vandana Shiva. Because I work from a feminist perspective, Bandana Shiva has been very, very important. When I first started having the, the wherewithal to do like a really self-critical look at, you know, the Western Academy at the United States and our policies, and I was kind of saying, what's wrong with us? Why are we like this? <laughs> yeah, Bandana Shiva was, she guided me through that in a way, and, and she still is doing that. Okay. So yeah, I would say, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll put them in the show notes too. <laughs> Trace, this is a really, really interesting conversation. And I just wanted to know how you feel. I feel good. I feel ready to, you know, go out and do the work. <laughs> well, that's brilliant. And uh, thank you ever so much for being my guest today, Trace. And good luck with the next next retreats. And we'll definitely have some postings on Instagram and on the Facebook page and everything. Once everything's live, we'll, we'll share the info. Great. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. You're welcome. See you soon, Trace. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. I love that conversation and I hope you did too. Trace is organising Surf Sister for Science trips all over the globe. You can join in by connecting to her brand new website, surfsistersforscience.org, or her Facebook page, Surf Sisters for Science. Joining one of her trips means you get to surf, volunteer for an awesome cause, go on an adventure and learn something new. So definitely head over to her website and sign up for the next awesome destination. Also, you can contribute to the Story Lab and feature on one of her videos. Just sort of send her an email and she'll organise an, an interview online. 
In this episode, we also talk about what she's doing in Costa Rica with Tarantula Surf. Well, if you wanted to learn a bit more about Tarantula Surf, she was actually my guest. Her name is Tara Ruttenberg. And you can also find an episode with her on the oceanriderspodcast.com. I also love the way surfing has become a means for academic research, and it's also busting the beach bum myth. You can continue the conversation online on my Facebook or Instagram pages at the Ocean Riders Podcast. You can also join the Facebook group called the Ocean Riders Community or join me on Twitter at Imi Podcast. All the show notes with links to the references, books and all sorts are available at theoceanriderspodcast.com. So skip over there and you'll find all the information with super photos from Trace. Thank you, Trace, for being my guest today. And thank you guys for listening. Until next episode, take care, have fun and enjoy the waves. Ciao.